Today on InCheck with FinTech, we had Julian Sawyer. Julian is the Managing Director for Europe at Gemini, which is a cryptocurrency exchange based in New York, founded by the Winkelvoss twins. Fantastic company, uh, amazing products that they're offering, truly secure and compliant cryptocurrency exchange. I think if you're not using this exchange as your preferred medium for buying and selling and holding cryptocurrency, you probably will start doing so after this show. Julian tells us all about his own background and what makes him the right man for setting up uh, this company in Europe. Uh, I think you'll agree he's very well placed to, to make a big success of it. So without further ado, I give you uh, Julian Sawyer. Thank you very much for being on the show today. Hi there, pleasure. Of course, we'll get into your current role with Gemini, which is a fascinating company I've just been reading up on for the first time. I think our audience will really enjoy learning all about that. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start the show where all of these podcasts and webinars are starting right now, which is how are you getting on in the midst of the coronavirus? How are you holding up? And uh, what's it been like for you? Um, I, it hasn't been too bad, t to be honest. I'm very fortunate that I live um, outside of London, so um, that is has has been good. Um, we've got a very small team in the UK uh, from Gemini, so we've always spent most of our time on video conference calls in, into uh, our colleagues in New York. So it hasn't been uh, bad at all. Um, and obviously our thought, thoughts have always been out with everybody else who's who's been impacted a, a lot hard, harder than we have. Indeed, I think it is a time for gratitude. Some companies, especially in the financial technology industries, are much better set up for this kind of long-term work from home than most industries are. Um, Julian, let's get right into it because I'm keen to really dig in into your background because you've worked for some fantastic and exciting companies. Um, a lot of people may know you from your years spent at Starling Bank, which is one of one of the best, if not the best, challenger bank to, to come up yeah. in the UK in the last few years. I'd like to go a bit further back, um, if you don't mind, to Blue sure. Block Consulting. Yes. It seems yeah. quite, quite ahead of the curve on payments and cards consulting. This is your own company that you founded, and I think successfully exited uh, what eight or nine years ago. Could you walk us through how you decided to pivot from your your early career as a big four consultant into Blue Rock? Must have been quite pioneering at the time, possibly quite risky to start a kind of a payments and cards consulting practice. Talk us through that part of your career. Yeah, I mean, I think. Um I started Blue Rock when I was 29, um, and probably with hindsight, which is always good, I was probably too young and the network probably wasn't as strong as it should have been. Um, but what I recognise is leaving Ernst & Young and prior to that Accenture, which was a great learning uh, experience, what I, what I really liked was high content. And I think a lot of consultancies are more about the process um, and what I really like is the content in actually doing something, knowing something, helping clients. Um, so I created uh, Blue Rock. Uh, I led that for 12 or 13 years um, of which we then grew to uh, about 20 employees and about 30 associates at our, at, at our peak. Um, and really what we were trying to do was to give high value consultancy, not the traditional 
um, triangle model where you have one very experienced person and a load of very, very cheap and uh, smart people, but who don't actually know anything. So trying to change, change things through that process. Um, and then coming out of the financial crash, um, we decided that we should be putting ourselves up for sale as the financial services industry started to recover from that and start to spend money on consultancies. So we sold it to an Italian consultancy. Um, and then um, I finished my earn out and my, my exit from there. And I was really then thinking about what to do. And I started going back into consulting. And, and I think I probably had that moment when you realize that consulting is a young person's uh, game um, and had the uh, great opportunity to uh, meet Anne Bowden, the CEO of uh, Starling Bank, uh, who was very persuasive in our first meeting and said, well, why don't you just come and spend a week with me and, and, and just help us? Um, and that week came to two weeks, then four weeks, um, and four and a half years later um, has been sort of an amazing experience in in you know, starting the bank, thinking about what the bank was trying to do, thinking about what customers want, um, and working through fundraising, the Bank of England application, um, and building um, the business. So I was chief operating officer for about three and a half years. Um, and my role was, you know, pretty broad from customer service, fraud, payments, um, going into HR and facilities, vendor management. And I kind of joke about doing anything that no one else want, wants to do, which is clearly the role of, of, of a CRO. <laughs> hey, this is Jonathan from Block Data. FYI, 40% of big companies will invest at least $5 million into blockchain initiatives this year. Block Data helps these companies understand what's going on through market intelligence on the blockchain ecosystem. If you'd like to find out more, just Google Block Data. And just for the benefit of our American and European listeners who may not be quite as well versed in the UK challenger industry as you are, Starling is a wildly successful neobank or challenger bank in the UK. I'm reading here, Best British Bank 2018, 2019, 2020. So this is no longer kind of sort of a scrappy tech startup. This is a, a serious, well-polished player now in the challenger banking sector. Just how well is Starling Bank doing these days? Um, I think it's doing incredibly well. I think the last published figures I saw was sort of one and a half million customers, uh, over one billion deposits, et cetera. And I think your, your summary was, was really uh, spot on in terms of, I think probably about 18 months ago, the challenger banks sort of pivoted from being there for the innovators, the early adopters, the people who were just genuinely curious about financial technology to the mass market. And that has um, been fundamental in terms of customer growth, both at Starling and at Monzo, which I think is, is interesting that, you know, there, were, there are a number of other challengers, but really there's only two that has got to that pivotal point. Um, and if you look at what Starling uh, does, it is a consumer current account or checking account on a mobile phone. But it's also an SME bank, um, and it also had uh, banking services, which is the provision of uh, payments and bank accounts as a service to other financial institutions. So there's kind of three legs to the business. And I think that is putting itself in 
you know, hopefully in a really good position during this crisis uh, in being able to help both consumers and SMEs with their financial needs. Um, so I think really what we're seeing is the maturity of these challenges into, well, they're just part of mainstream banking, they're just another option. Um, and I think you're, you're right, you know, getting the best British bank in 2018, um, where I think the previous winner was First Direct, and First Direct have probably won that for the last 20 years with you know, their amazing service and products. Um, was again another one of these watershed moments when you just go, actually, this is now grown up. This is now mainstream. Uh, the industry and consumers and businesses are starting to see this as a very viable um, business. And that is really, really important, I think. Indeed, it's a real success story. I think we, we can be proud of it. Is it going very international nowadays, Julian? I know it's uh, got those million and a half customers presumably primarily in the UK, is it acquiring customers elsewhere in the world? Um, not at the moment. It has uh, announced that it is uh, applying for a banking license in Ireland. And so you can see that they would uh, go into Ireland and then perhaps into mainland Europe. Um, I think, I guess there's a couple of strategies here. One is you can go very thin across a load of markets or you go very deep. And the strategy at Starling has been uh, to go very deep uh, and therefore actually to get critical mass um, and to um, provide the growth both in consumers and SME. And there is fundamentally huge amount of growth opportunities just within the UK market. So yes, I believe it will be going internationally, but I think it's, it's at, at a point of when not uh, as as part of the, uh, there isn't an urgent need to do that. Set up a great platform for yourself in the UK first to make sure the fundamentals are, are rock solid and, and then strategically grow country by country. Of course, a lot of these neobanks, they want to fan out as quickly as possible, get themselves a few thousand customers in as many countries as possible. And I suppose there's merits to that way of growing as well. But time will tell who the big winners will be. And I think Starling is, is right up there with, uh, with the best of them. I've got to keep picking your brains, Julian, before we come to your current role at Gemini. Um, I, I do apologize if I'm just kind of rinsing through your, your resume here, but it's just there's some wonderful stuff on there. Um, are you doing similar work with Vault Bank as, as you were with Starling? It seems to be a sort of an Australian version of, of, of a Starling bank. What, what, what are you uh, doing for, for Vault Bank in Australia right now? Yeah, so, so, so Vault is a challenger bank in Australia, um, and I'm an advisor to the board and the exec to uh, really just help them through the process of growing a challenger bank. The Australian market is about between two and three years behind the UK market in terms of challenges. So uh, last year, four or five banks, including Vault, um, uh, got approved by the Australian regulator. Um, and so they're going through that process of, well, how do we recruit? How do we scale? What does engineering? How do we manage prioritization issues, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I was down in Australia meet, meeting with the guys in October last year. And, you know, there was a really good chemistry there. What they were doing uh, is super interesting. It's very similar to uh, Starling. And it's and, and what, I, what I liked about that is, I fundamentally believe it's a viable business proposition. Uh, the CEO, Steve Westland, is incredibly strong, ex uh, 
Barclays, so a number of uh, people in Europe will, will know him. Um, and it's, it is just a very good model for how to do the next generation banking. And this comes out of uh, what Australians have, uh, which is called the Royal Commission, which looked at the big four banks and said, you know, they didn't do things right. Um, and so there's a real appetite from the regulator, from the market, from consumers to do things uh, better. And, and, you, and you look at that and you see that it's very, very similar to um, the Starlings, the Monzos of this world, and they've got all the ingredients right. So I'm very uh, fortunate to be able to uh, help help them through that process and share not just about what uh, I've done at Starling, but what the European market is doing with, with regard to uh, Challenger Bank. It's an exciting time for the Australian consumer, arguably a little bit further behind than maybe folks in, in the UK, in London, who have been demanding these more nimble digital services for a bit longer. You mentioned there was that Royal Commission into the big four banks in Australia. Um, they've had a bit of a, what, a stultifying hold on the Australian financial services market for a while. Um, yeah. just, just how sophisticated is that end consumer in Australia in terms of getting these more modern fintech services? Is there a great demand for it? Can't they wait for the services of companies like Vault Bank? Are they really screaming out for newer, better services? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably very similar to the UK. And um, once consumers see the new world and they see what you know the Vault app looks like or the Starling app looks like, they go, this is amazing. And you get that innate um, enthusiasm for the product. They communicate to their friends. So the cost of acquisition is a lot lower. Um, they're genuinely uh, excited about what this product can do. Um, and some of these things are big things within the app. Uh, and some of them are incredibly small little things that just help you manage your money in a better way. Um, so I think what we're seeing in Australia is people perhaps don't know what good look looks like yet, but they're starting to see that. They're starting to see a different way, a newer way of doing banking. And go back four years, five years, um, and you start to look at the beginning of Starling, and I think all my uh, friends and industry experts, I put that in inverted commas now, when what are you doing? You're crazy. Why are you starting a bank? No one ever does that. Does it make money? How does current accounts work? And won't they won't people want to do things on a, a browser or go into a branch? And now if you said those kind of things, you'd go, that's just a really stupid statement to make. <laughs> everybody has proven that digital banking, online banking is the way forward. So I think Australia is exactly the same place. Um, a lot of the fintechs, a lot of the challenges actually follow real-time payments and instant payments. And that is something that is coming out in, in, in Australia. We know that's coming out in, in the US as well. So we're starting to see some of these uh, companies emerge. I mean, Monzo announced that they're applying for their bank in, in, in the United States. Yep. So I think the UK is very fortunate. We had a banking uh, regulator and regime that wanted to open up. Uh, technology was the right place. And we had you know executives with vision and in, in, in investors with faith that wanted to go and prove that there is a model. I think that is now going across 
mainland Europe as well as uh, Australia and, and, other, and, and other regions. Love it. You've done it in the UK. You're starting to do it in Australia. I'd love to spend the rest of the show talking about Gemini, which is, okay. as I said at the start of the show, a very exciting company that I clearly do not know enough about, but I'll certainly do a bit more research afterwards. Um, could you please take it from the top? What is this company? What is it they do and do so well? And then we'll get into your specific role growing this business in Europe. Yeah, so the company was founded by Cameron and Tyler Wenkelvoss from uh, the Facebook fame and uh, Bitcoin billionaires. And they started the business in 2014, having invested in Bitcoin, having looked at the players in the market and realized that there was a fundamental issue in the market that this was being managed not by bankers, not by regulation, not by security experts, but by people who are in-depth in the technology and the crypto world. I call them crypto geeks. I don't mean that in a negative way at all. Um, and there is a real opportunity and more than that, a real need in the market to have a, an exchange uh, where you can buy and sell your crypto assets um, that is super secure, that is regulated, that takes compliance as seriously as any bank in the world does. So the first thing they did is they uh, went to um, the hardest or the toughest regulatory regime in, in, in the States, which is New York, uh, and applied for a trust uh, um, license. Um, for those in, in Europe, because I had to Google this as well, a trust is uh, a little step below a bank, but a big step above an e-money institution and, and the payments institution. So we don't have that in, in, in Europe. Uh, we have a bank and then we go to an EMI. So a trust is what State Street, which is obviously a massive tier one bank is, uh, et cetera. And so trust, uh, uh, so, so Gemini is a trust company uh, regulated in New York. And for the first four or five years, they spent their time building that exchange building the ability to take, you know, US dollar currencies, fiats, um, and focus their energy on the institutional side. Because the fundamental belief is if you get the institutional right, then you can, you can then pivot down to consumers. If you start with consumers, it is very, very difficult to pivot up into the institutional side. And that goes from a brand, from a technology, et cetera. So I guess what does an exchange do? Well, you know, I have some US dollars. I want to buy some Bitcoin. Where do I go? What, what do I do with it? So you would go to an exchange and you would and you would convert your dollars into Bitcoin. And then you, you realize, well, what am I going to do with this? Where do I store this securely? And you might have heard some, uh, you know, exchanges that have been hacked in the past and things like that. So you want to go into a, a custody or custodian. Where, that, uh, where you can store your digital asset um, in a very, very safe way, usually offline, um, but enables you to be able to monitor and sell that asset as well as to add to it. So an exchange is very similar, exactly the same as uh, the London Stock Exchange. Uh, it is a way of exchanging uh, crypto assets for, for fiat and crypto to create uh, crypto in a highly secure way. And I think one of the things that I... What resonated with me as I was going through the you know, recruitment process was 
that they took security so seriously. Everything was built from security first principle. So it wasn't added in late later. It was done from day one, right in the core of the exchange with a total focus on compliance. And so what this means for Gemini, uh, I guess if you wanted to be critical, is it tends to be slower than some of the other players because it wants to do it right. It wants to uh, get the approvals. Uh, so we always talk about asking permission uh, first uh, rather than asking for forgiveness. Um, and so what we fundamentally believe is that having this, this approach will mean that consumers have a stronger reliance on us in terms of our security, about why we do things. But I think it will also mean that, that consumers and institutions will pivot to where there is uh, a security in their assets. Um, so that's kind of been the journey. And then uh, last year, they, they really wanted to do two things. One was to go to the second part of the development of the business, which was to go mobile, which they did. Um, and then they also wanted to go global. Um, and so they um, appointed myself as MD for Europe. Uh, so this is the first overseas office in uh, London. Uh, and we're applying to be regulated by the FCA. Um, and that process has been on, ongoing before I joined. And so my job really is to take this product uh, this service, this capability, this proposition to market, both for consumers uh, and also for in institutions, and really to ensure that the same ethos that's come out of New York, Chicago, and Portland, our offices, is embedded within the London office, um, and that we're talking to the wider European market in terms of, of, of uh, crypto assets and the, uh, the purchase and storage of those. The PCN podcast is brought to you by PayVision. When it comes to payments, PayVision don't mess around. They live and breathe payment processing, from design and integration to delivery and checkout, and everything in between. The dedication to their products shows that's why they're so happy to support merchants with exactly the kind of payment solutions they're looking for. It's a fantastic overview there, Julian. Thanks for all of that. Is Gemini amongst the biggest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world now, based on volume of, of transactions, or how does it size up against some of the other players in this space? Well, it's the best, clearly. Um, I think I think one of the things that I've learned, and this is a, a new sector for me, is it's really hard to, uh, in an emerging market, to quantify size. Uh, the way I describe it is we're certainly a top 10 exchange. Um, there are a number of exchanges that uh, just wash their own trades through to boost volumes, but that clearly doesn't boost income, etc. Um, what we also recognize is in an emerging market, there is a need for market data. Uh, and we play a very strong role with some uh, key providers to show them what we are doing so they can then assess um, the size and scale, liquidity, and everything else of an exchange, and so that is that that is super important. So for us, uh, while volume is 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 one measure, actually, the measure we want to to have is around the security and the compliance, etc. So, for instance, as a uh, a benchmarking uh, re re report that. Um, 
uh, crypto compared does, which has put us as num number two in the world based on a whole range of different factors. So I think one of the things, as I said, I, I am learning rapidly having come into this industry is that actually volume isn't everything, but certainly Gemini is, is a top 10 player in whatever way you measure it. Yep, security, compliance, ease of use, customer uh, service, these things need yes. to start feeding into and, and then the liquidity, et cetera. So one of the things that we are very cautious on is uh, what cryptocurrencies we list. Um, and while some people go for uh, quantity, um, we tend to go for quality. So what does quality mean? It means that it is a reliable currency. It is one that is understood. It is one that's accepted by the Department of, of Financial Services in New York. Um, it's one that has liquidity. So we can actually provide a market for you to buy and sell. So we think there's a whole range of things and it's not a race to well, how many have we listed. It's much more around are there some here that have got sufficient quality uh, for us to provide a market. I remember maybe one or two years ago, there's a real kind of wild west in, in these ICOs and all these funny coins coming yep. to market. And it's good if, if people just click on Gemini's website, they can see your long list of, of the coins you provide liquidity in. Um, and what's reassuring is there's not hundreds and hundreds, there's a few dozen, um, which means you're, you're going for quality over quantity. And I'm sure we can read into all of these coins, see what some of their fundamentals are. Uh, jumping around a little bit, you mentioned you're going through the process with the FCA, the UK mm -hmm. regulator for, for new financial services. What are some of the criteria they'll be testing you on if you want to bring a big cryptocurrency exchange to the market? Let's say um, that's a different kettle of fish. What are some of the hoops you need to jump through, making sure that um, you're on the same page as, as the regulator? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's probably two parts to this. One is uh, the e-money part, which is can I accept fiat, GBP, euros or whatever, um, and be able to store that uh, e-money. Um, and then the second one is around the exchange for crypto assets piece. Now, um, as of January this year, the fifth anti-money laundering directive has come in place. So we're actually going through two parts. One is the 5MLD and the second one is the e-money. But we, we see uh, regulation as a very, very positive part. And particularly in the United States, we spend a huge amount of time uh, talking, educating, sharing with the regulators, the markets, etc., to ensure that we all understand that. And I think a really good example is when the, uh, the 5MLD came in on the 10th of January this year, um, some exchange angels ex exited the market because the cost of regulation was too great for them. They hadn't set up themselves to be right, to be structured correctly, to have the right compliance, having done the AML and KYC from all customers from day one, etc. So I think what we see is as um, regulation comes on board, as uh, regulators continue to engage in this asset class, um, they better understand how to manage it, how to supervise it, which we think is super good and really, really important. It also means that some people will drop away. We think that's good for consumers because what it means is the people who are going to be uh, left standing, if you will, are going to be the ones who have thought about 
all the things that a regulator cares about um, and doing it right first time. Yeah. Yep. So you're leading the growth of the most important market outside of America for what is probably uh, one of the highest quality, safest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world right now. What does this look like in a couple of years? What's the end goal for you? What kind of state do you want to leave Gemini in if indeed you're ready to leave in a couple of years or so? I, I think what, what I think is um, a, a, a fantastic personal um, goal is to launch a, brand, a financial services brand across Europe. Um, and yes, we've got a, a, a very good presence in the US, but we're coming uh, where into a market which has got other people who are who are who have played in this market for some time. Mm -hmm. So we need to find ways to differentiate ourselves to educate consumers about why we are better for them uh, and what does it mean to be uh, trading and storing your digital assets on 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 Gemini. So for me, this is about the journey. Uh, it's about starting from, uh, from, from from scratch, educating people as to, well, Gemini exists. Great. What does it do? How does it do it? Why is it different? Um, how do I trust Gemini? Um, and that, I think, is, 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 is the journey, which is uh, super exciting for me and the team. Um, it's also really exciting for our New York uh, colleagues and um, as I said, when I was going through the interview process, I was always worried about whether we were just going to be that little, little island uh, and not really uh, having the engagement and the visibility. And that is absolutely not the case. Um, the uh, the old times that I've been to New York and been in the office and spent time with the team, not just the leadership team, but everybody, everyone is super excited. This is a major market. Um, you know, 300 million people or whatever in, across Europe. Uh, there's um, uh, markets like Spain, like the UK that are, that are more advanced, have high penetration of crypto assets. We've got regulators involved. Um, we've got institutions looking at this market. And so actually this is a really exciting, pivotal time to join Gemini and to, and to lead it. So for me, it's, it's about looking back at the end of every year and going, right, what have we done? We've actually landed here, we've gone live, we've got customers, we've got trades, we've got a business that is really exciting. It's extremely exciting. Do you have any plans to open up offices across continental Europe? Um, I mean, partly we will follow regulation. So in those markets that we need extra regulation, then we will obviously engage in that space. Um, I think if the current crisis is teaching us anything in terms of leadership, management and people, is that I think it is around being able to manage across uh different borders seamlessly at home, working in remote offices, et cetera, and engaging differently in how you as an individual work. So I think we would be more encouraging of uh, having teams or having people in particular cities who have got particular market expertise or particular language skill set or technical skill set, et cetera. 
um, than perhaps um, has been said in the past. And I think <clears throat> CEO of Barclays last week said, I can't see why we would have a sky skyscraper and 7,000 people in, in, in a building anymore. And I think <clears throat> over time, we're going to see this more and more, where if there's good talent in Germany or in Holland, why aren't we going to recruit that person and have them working with us? And whether that's in a WeWork or at home or, or an office, um, then we should do that. And Gemini's got two offices, one in Portland, Oregon, and the other one in Chicago. And that was very, very similar. You know, there was talent there. We wanted that talent. That talent clearly didn't want to move to New York. Um, so what do you do? Well, you create an office and you put your 10 people or 20 people in there and you, you, you grow that and support them. So I think that all becomes the future. And I think... I think us Europeans know that Europe is uh, a single entity, but is made up of 27, 28 different countries with different cultures, with different needs and wants, different appetites, uh, different understanding of money and appreciation of money. Um, and I think, therefore, we need to be very, very aware that a one-size um, one approach does not work. So this cannot be a cookie-cutter approach in the market. This has to be something... Uh, unique into each of the key core markets. Indeed. I think the era of renting a, a large office block somewhere and filling it with hundreds or even thousands of people is probably a thing of the past. If we can, I think so. if we're allowed to take any sort of positives from this whole crisis, it's kind of made us speed up this, which was already a trend towards long term working from home, working remotely, getting used to these tools. Um, it's fed that up for you know, about maybe five to 10 years. Um, so it's great that you're already in a position to start taking advantage of that. Last question, Julian, and you're probably not allowed to answer this one. Okay. Can you give, can you give any, uh, any tips for any coins that uh, our audience should uh, take an interest in in the coming you know, weeks and months? <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me, am I allowed to hold, hold crypto currencies? Yeah. Um, uh, no, clearly as an exchange, we uh, are lim lim limited about what we and how we can hold, but also, uh, no, I cannot give uh, advice or any other advice. Um, I think what, uh, you know, probably on a more serious point, what I think is, is really interesting is when you look not from the crypto world into banking, but banking into crypto world, you're starting to see some very serious investment advisors talking about that you should have within your portfolio some crypto assets. I'm not going to tell you which ones or, or, or the percent, percentages, but I think that is a movement of direction of travel, yes. which is really, really important for the for it because it legitimizes the asset class as part of your investment portfolio as opposed to just a trading or a uh, a payment type usage like a stable coin or something. Love it. Julian, where can people go to find out more about yourself and about Gemini? Uh, so Gemini.com uh, is where you can find about us. And I'm on Twitter at uh, Julian underscore Sawyer and I'm also on LinkedIn. Brilliant. So we'll leave it there. That was a well-rounded show. Thanks for telling us all about your earlier career history and the truly exciting things Gemini, Gemini are doing in Europe. I'm sure you'll have many inquiries, maybe even applicants to the company. So enjoy 
responding to uh, to all of those good people. Julian okay. Sawyer, Managing Director uh, for Gemini. Thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you. I pre appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. Stay safe, Julian. Bye for now. Cheers. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing in order to receive every episode as it's published. The fintech space is ever-changing and we care about keeping you up to date with the latest happenings in this exciting space. If you wish to appear on the next episode, please email podcast at teampcn.com. That's podcast at teampcn.com. Thank you.